This podcast is brought to you by EnergyX. Are you tired of paying huge rates to the big cloud providers? Are you worried about being booted off a cloud platform if your company doesn't meet their ever-shifting standards? Ready to step up your data security and disaster recovery game? Well, ladies and gentlemen, your new cloud is ready. Introducing xCloud, the scalable, resilient computing cloud that is also actually affordable. It's high-performance compute for half the cost. HPC for HTC. xCloud from Red Team is opening a beta program for new cloud computing customers, and that means you, my friend. The xCloud is powered by the XMDC Immersion Cooled Modular Data Center from EnergyX. I've seen this data center in operation, and it is a total game changer. So if you want more information about the beta launch, go to the URL in the description. Type in promo code BETA, B-E-T-A, for 50% off of your first instance. And so the URL is going to be digitalwildcutters.com forward slash energy. X. This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's up, Wildcatters? Welcome back to another episode of the Willing Gas Startups Podcast. If you've been listening to the show since the beginning, then you know this next guy, John Farrell, CEO, one of the co-founders of Well Database, good friend of the digital Wildcatters, good friend of mine. Uh, you were like episode three, I think, <laughs> uh, in the beginning, 2019, March 2019, Julie looked it up. Yeah. Did the, the it's first crazy. Episode. I think I don't know if we've had you on back since then. No, I haven't been. I haven't been back here. I did. I jumped on with Jeremy. Um, we've on. talked about. I've had an entire kid yeah. since the last kid. time That's I've right. even seen you. Yes, yeah. I grew up. My hair and became white Jesus, and then cut it off, Jesus, and I'm off. no longer there. Um, the reason we haven't seen each other is because you moved to Montana. I did. You yeah. moved to the middle of nowhere into paradise. You escaped <laughs> the concrete jungle that is that is Houston. I'm a little jealous, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm going to go look at some houses in uh, Hamilton. Montana. Montana. Yeah. You have but a standing invitation to come visit. I need, I, mean, I need to. I've been meaning to for so yeah. long. But then as soon as you moved up there, COVID hit, the world shut down. Yeah. Just yep. like craziness. But for one, it's great to catch up. Two, I want to learn about like what has changed, you know, since I mean, we're talking about like four years. Yeah, it's crazy. The company, I know a lot of things has changed for you guys. A lot has changed for us since then. Yeah, it's like a lifetime. You realize like I didn't, we had not met before we did that first. Like Really? I, yeah, we had just connected on LinkedIn and, you know, we chatted a little bit. And so I walked in and, and met you and Colin that day. It's the very first time we ever met. Oh my gosh. It feels like I've known you forever. I know. It's nuts. all the times we've hung out since then. But yeah. you think about like Energy Tech Night One, like you were there yeah. presenting um, a couple of the other events. I think we did like some of the collective stuff. Oh, yeah. That was a lot. I mean, we, we were in everything. Like I couldn't, it was, but like it, the night me, you, and Josh Robbins went out. <laughs> <laughs> oh josh i talked to him the other day for the first time in a long time he's he's always fun to talk to he's a goofball <laughs> love that guy um no it's crazy when you think about that though um because like this is rewind back there like oil and gas startups podcast was to me like the very first avenue for a startup in this industry to get any kind of exposure yeah um and and I think about it now, I'm like, oh, there's all kinds of avenues now. But I actually think three quarters of them are coming through digital wildcatters right now. <laughs> and so it's not because like the industry changed and now it's like you guys have just grown and expanded more. But like I couldn't tell you, I remember how thrilled I was because at the time we started Well Database probably 
I don't know, five, six years before that. Mm-hmm. And you just feel like you're on an island. You feel like you're the only person out there and doing a startup and you walk into these big companies and they're like, who are you and why do I care? You walk into an investment group and they're like, you want to go head to head with two of the biggest and oldest companies in the industry? Good luck. We'll yeah. see you later. So like, yeah, for years I felt like I was, I was just losing my mind. Like this was never going to happen. But then like slowly but surely we get this ecosystem going. It was pretty cool. Um, so yeah, I mean, that kicked off a ton of things that we worked together yeah. on and stuff. And so it's been a blast. Um, so for those who are not like familiar with you guys, what high level overview, what do you guys do? Oh Yeah. We do data. No, we go, we go and we, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's funny. Everyone uses data, data, the new oil. And that was like years ago. People used to say that stuff. <laughs> um, but still people use it, but like, it's still too expensive and still hard to get and cumbersome to deal with. Like I talk to people who spend, you know, majority of their jobs, just, um, cleansing data that is already purchased oh. from a third party. So anyway, we go out and we, we wrote automation around all these things, go grab all this data and pull it into a single platform. Um, and then we provide it to our users, like, I mean, five, six different ways. You want to query Snowflake API, you want to get into our portal, you want to do direct exports to any of the applications. Um, and that's really been kind of key. So we get all that data, mm-hmm. we clean it, and it runs through by being automated. There was a time where I was like, we automate things because it reduces our cost. And that's still true. But what we found is by automating things, it meant that every time we found a problem with data, we created a rule for it. And yeah. that rule fixes that point. And you can run it over historical data and then you run it on all future data, right? And so that iterative process, feedback we're getting from people today is that we have the cleanest data in the industry. And it's not because we were magical. It's just that, you know, if, yeah. if you've got 17,000 people telling you all the problems in your data and you're writing a rule for each one, of course, you're going to get clean data. Um, so anyway, that's what we do. We get the data, we make it clean, we make it usable. And then our platform is like blown up as far as analytic wise, what you can do all baked into well database. Um, so you guys are the, the David to the Goliath of, you know, the inverse and the, uh, you know, the IHS or I guess now S and P, but it's been so awesome to see you guys grow. So now, so I remember back then, and I've used the platform extensively. I think y'all had like, it was like data, then y'all had like all the built-in kind of visualizations and kind of front end and stuff. But it seems like now y'all are piping a lot of just the data itself into other places where people can yeah. take that, play with it, put it in other visualizations. Yeah. What's the what's the split between that? Is it like half your customers do half, half the other? Yeah, what you know what it is, is that especially majors, they'll have Spotfire systems, yeah. Tableau, Power BI, whatever it is, and you go talk to them, these meetings are great. They're like, what do you do with data? I'm like, well, we just get the data and we put it in our systems and run. And you're like, okay, so what is it? And they tell you the technology. Okay, so well, you just query Snowflake if you wanna do that. So we pipe it in there so you can get it that way. If you want custom exports, we'll deliver it to you. If you have a local on-prem database you wanna manage, that kind of thing. But what we found was so funny is that all of the hoops are jumping through with these other platforms. Like our platform had evolved to do all of that for you. And so like, we'll go into these demos and say, we just need the data and so we'll, I try not to waste people's time. So I'm like, okay, here's what our data is. Here's what it is. Here are our access methods. It's five minutes, you know, you want to see the portal? And they're like, oh, sure. And by the time we get to the end of the portal, they're like, man, if we did this, then we don't need these four extra systems that have been laying around here that we just use because there's never been anything better. Um, and so it's one of those, I, I made the joke the other day, Henry Ford, that fake line that's not real, that if I had given my customers what I wanted, it would be yeah. a faster horse. Like people think they just want the data, but they don't realize the power of an online, you know, SaaS analytics engine that they can do. Um, 
so back to your question, it probably, you know, half our customers are enterprise now and half are more kind of off the street ones and twos mm -hmm. kind of situation. Um, but every single enterprise customer that we have started off saying all they want was the data. And today they have users using the platform every single day. So it's a little bit of what they didn't know they could do that they can do now. Um, it's easy to use. I mean, we we used it um, extensively, but I think particularly during like 2019 and 2020. Yeah, when you we were, were buying there. wells. Yeah, we were, yeah, we were <laughs> using it a lot. And um, yeah, it's just like really simple to find out like whatever answers you're looking for, then you guys have put a lot of thought into any yeah. and every possible metric you could want to know is in there. Yeah, and that's... A good and a bad thing. We I joked about this not that long ago. Like Josh and I, the the founders, were tech guys, and so of course, like we're always around tech. You know, adding new features, new abilities, and stuff. And the joke the other day was, like, I think we forgot to sell it somewhere along the way. Like <laughs> I go talk to people, and they think we're just another data provider, and like yeah. they can just get the data. They had no, I mean, they literally have no clue that you know you can do decline curve analysis and economics and break down analytical of type curve comparisons between mm -hmm. operators and plays and 3d visualizations of directional surveys and like it's all there in one platform so it's uh something we need to do better at marketing but what is what's changed the most in the last four years oh man I could probably go four different directions with that but like hey however you want to answer the it. thing that hammers me the most is like especially being a technical co-founder which yeah. it's something that's uh, it's seemingly kind of rare right i mean almost three quarters of the people it seems just, like it's becoming more rare yeah like they just want to outsource the tech part and they know the business side yeah. and that's okay it can work to get off the ground but like you always input this massive amount of technical debt um that you have to deal with at some point in time and people just don't realize um and then the technical side like they don't respect the business side like they're like we just make a great product you build it and they'll come that's not true. Um, so anyway, the biggest thing that has changed is I've started to respect all aspects of what it takes to run a business. We've hired people and yeah. I've had to get out of the I do all things for everyone and start delegating to different people, different segments. It's it's hard, isn't it? It's really hard, especially because like you see it and you're like, I wouldn't do it that way. But I got to keep my mouth shut because I this is their job. I have to let them run with this. I think. I think because I 100% I struggle with the same thing. I think all of us here have at some point is it's like you like you said. You guys have been doing this six years before we even met, yeah. right? And so in the early days, you're it's a young company. You're scrappy. You're having to wear a lot of hats. You're having to do a lot of things. It is hard to break out of that mode once you kind of get into a growth cycle of being like, I need to hire, delegate, and push responsibilities down right. as much as possible. Yeah. You know, because it does take time to articulate processes and things like that. But it's also if you find the right people, I think it's you know, the the wrong people, it's very, very costly. Oh right? yeah. And you feel like you have to micromanage and, and all that kind of stuff. The right people come in and say, you're doing it wrong. Right. And yeah. And then there's a million million better ways to to do that. But I noticed that you guys have expanded with like Aaron and yeah. I know you made a couple other hires. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, we've we've this year alone have doubled our team um awesome. size wise. But yeah, it's just and I'm like so hands on with so so much and yeah. so detail oriented. And and you're right. Like I would be in there like I think it should really be just like this and and sometimes I need to step back and be like, Okay, leave it alone and let them do it. And other times I'll I'll say something and they'll let me know what I don't know, which is great. That's when you know you got the right people. Um, and I think we yeah we've got a crazy team. We were at Urtech 
and it was really cool because we or we just rented a big loft and we all stayed in one big loft together yeah um which you know sounded weird at first to everybody and they never really thought about you know a bunch of people staying in a loft men women never you know whatever um but it was like the best experience like we Old team bonding oh yeah because yeah. i mean we were we because you're we a distributed team yes yeah we're yeah, all over yeah. the place yeah and so i mean we've got so aaron's in canada oklahoma city so calgary oklahoma city houston and i'm in montana um but we have you know, montana <laughs> the <laughs> oil and gas mecca uh but no uh you know we're going to be bringing on people in in uh denver and um I don't know if it's Midland anyway, but yeah, it's, it's distributed, but we get together and man, we just have a crazy, awesome team. Like it's so much fun. Um, and so, yeah, that's the biggest thing that changed from a personal standpoint, you know, it's like letting that go. That is such a hard thing to do. Um, especially when you're bootstrapped and like mm -hmm. whenever you, uh, you get a lot of capital like up front in the beginning and you start just bringing in people. You never do those jobs. And so you don't really have an idea. But you guys know this because you guys ran without capital for a long time and you kind of know how you like to do everything. And then no one's going to do it just like you. But yeah. you got to let them do it their way. And probably it's better than your way anyway. Yeah. I mean, and if not, then you didn't have the right person. Right. That's very true. So, yeah. So managing people versus doing the job is is the biggest change personally. Company wise, yeah. though. um, yeah, you're just expanding, talking to more enterprises. We went from mm -hmm. low barrier to entry, get individuals off the street, credit card, pay. And that's, I don't know how many, I feel like we're one of the only companies that still do that today. But um, that was where we lived and breathed. So marketing was more of like a broad, broad strokes, trying to get more people, more eyes on the site. Whereas enterprise is a lot of outreach and a lot of sales cycle and planning process, contracts, negotiations. Yeah. And, um, and it's all a good thing, but and I always want to keep that balance, you know, kind of 50 50 is trying to make sure our, we don't get too heavy in one side or the other. Yeah. So, but so that's kind of changed a lot of what our product looks like. And what, what challenges do you have on like actually like, like selling this into the enterprise? Because to me, it's always seemed like a, like a no brainer, right? Because you're, you're giving higher quality data for a fraction of the cost compared to whoever else is out there right right and so it just seems like that would just kind of like like sell itself <laughs> but like obviously there are cultural barriers i think sometimes yeah uh in this industry so i'm kind of curious has any of that changed uh, over time or man i don't know i sometimes think it's gotten worse um <laughs> in some ways what and, and so like not to be too obvious about it but like i'm you know john and i'm a it guy at you know chevron or something like that like, what is my motivation to go rip out my previous data provider and put well database in? Yeah. You know, I if I don't have a, a bonus king off of saving this capital, if I don't have some data piece missing, mm -hmm. then I'm doing nothing but creating work for myself to save the company a couple hundred grand. Right. And like. You could say, well, that's, you know, that shouldn't be how it is. But it's just I mean, people. That's the reality. Of it. Yeah. They need yeah. a reason. Um yeah, a reason to push out. So, I mean, and so that drives so much of our inbound traffic is like someone got a goal to reduce data spend by 50%. And so they reach out to us and that that conversation is great because it's like we, we've we got the the medicine for your uh, for your pain there. Um, outbound is a little bit different though. We got to like just kind of be there and, and uh, our strategy is really around selling to individuals so that we can start like alleviating, you know, John at Chevron's pain, the thing that he's mm -hmm. spending... 20 hours screwing with data, we can make that take it down to nothing. And so he now wants us to make that internal champion where they start breaking out. 
But yeah, it's really those motivation. <laughs> the motivation. It's, it's a feature, not a book. Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> it's those motivations that what drives the processes, and yeah. and you know, and you guys see this too. The the technology, the reason why people adopt technology. You really wish that it was like the best technology wins, but it's not. It's the technology that makes the most sense for a company in a particular position with a particular goal. Um, so yeah, it's completely evasive to answer to your question, but like it is just a the timing matters just as much as your product fit. So is there anything else you feel like you've 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 really just either learned either the easy way or the hard way over the last four years? Oh. Um hiring, uh don't hire, don't post stuff on just open that you're hiring people. You just get inundated with uh with unqualified people. Yeah, well, recruiters, yeah. unqualified people. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. waste your time. Um hiring sucks. I I'm not a big fan of hiring. Um <laughs> But uh, no, the yeah, the biggest thing is, I guess, respecting that business side of things as a technical person. Um, I I did. I think I probably said it in the very first podcast, it, and I've known this, so I didn't learn it in the last four years. But still, like, you have the best product. It doesn't mean people are just going to buy it. Yeah. You know, you've got to make it make sense to them. Um, so, uh, and, you know, uh, at the end of the day, our trajectory has been kind of slower and steady but we never took capital we still don't never taken capital and so i think that's expected yeah, um, i was gonna ask you about that because i know that once upon a time you were talking about it yeah. and it was like yeah no we've substantial had, numbers right we've know? had term yeah. sheets and things like that come across and and stuff we really really considered um at yeah, the end of walk, the walk me through that for like the the entrepreneurs who are listening who are yeah thinking about like because that is kind of the road less taken Right. Right. Especially with, you know, you and I were talking about it and like we, we, we've, we're closing this round of capital and it's finally for the first time, like giving us the, the resources to be able to allocate to actually making this vision for Collide and really the whole future of the company, like come to life. We've been talking right. about it for years, laying the foundation for mm -hmm. it, but we just weren't capitalized well enough to, to pull it off with given, you know, GNA and expenses for the events and everything else. Right. You know, so I'm, yeah, I'm kind of curious, like what y'all's thought process was and, and all that kind of I mean I think we we had the kind of I think like any any entrepreneur would look at it and be like yeah some capital would help me accelerate a lot of my processes allow me to bring on more sales and marketing team build out more technical team and all this there's all the everyone knows the pros of it but we rarely think about the cons of what that looks like and a term sheet does a real good job of laying out what expectations are going to look like mm -hmm. um, so they're going to give you this you know several million dollars but in return, you're going to have these board seats, board meetings. You're going to have oversight. You're going to have to meet weekly with this group and talk to this group on this time. And um, you give yourself a boss, uh, bosses. You do. You do. And you know, I feel like your your second, your if you do a second round, you end up in a better position that way because it, it helps you. Um, the first round can help establish a, an identity, and the second round they basically are coming in and like this is already established. You can be a part of what we're doing. Yeah. Um, that also means your first round had to go successful and you had to raise your revenue numbers. But um, you know, when you're if you do go out to raise capital, it's a full time job. It's not something you can do on the side. You can't run a business and grow a business bootstrapped with you know two three people and raise capital. You I are. mean, Colin started this last round that we're just now kind of wrapping up. Mm -hmm. Technically started in like December of last year. Press pause for a few months in the middle of the year because it was just like there was no Quiet. traction. And then fired it back up. And now we're closing and we're almost to October. Yeah. 
that is a full-time thing. That is like where he spent most of his time right. over the last year. Yeah. And so, I mean, you have to make a choice. Uh, I, I mean, especially, so people who do it at the, you know, idea phase before yeah. a product's there, before there's, I mean, these, there's jokes in the, in the kind of Silicon Valley side is the worst thing a startup could do is make profit. Um, because as long as you're not making any profit or as long as you're making any revenue, it's all theoretical and you can be worth whatever you want. Um, of course, you have to sell it. But still, I've seen people sell some crazy stuff. Um, so there's a buyer out there for it. But yeah. um, but it's a full-time job. And if you've yeah. got a, a company that's making revenue and, you know, you're just a normal person like me who has a family and, you know, bills, I can't just be broke. And so uh, you, you have to make that call. Are you going to raise capital? Are you going to grow your business? And then you know, on the off chance you got like we had where we had people inbound and we said, sure, we'll talk. And then we met, you know, it didn't constitute a full-time job. It was, it wasn't bad. But then when you get the term sheet, you realize just how much you're giving up. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm not even talking about the equity percent is that that is what it is. It's valuated. That's yeah. math. It's easy. Um, it's the control. It's your vision. And when you talk about well database, you know, we're a freemium software, mm -hmm. freemium and oil and gas. There's just, they don't, go together like people don't think we should give anything away ever but we have bigger plans for monetizing our user base um this industry doesn't wrap their head around that idea yeah and so if we had taken any of that investment any of those times we would not be the company we are today um yeah it's just they wouldn't have allowed it they would have focused on raising our prices they would have pushed us to hammer just on enterprise where the big contract big ticket items are and you know they wouldn't have been wrong we would have made more money but I think our ceiling would have been lower. And yeah. so allowing us to spend our time to build out this user base that we have, as I said it quickly earlier, we have over 17,000 people on our platform now. Oh, wow. Which you know, That's a lot. in this industry is pretty good. Yeah. Um, and so next year you'll be seeing a number of new things come out that help us monetize those users. And it's going to, again, change our ceiling. Mm -hmm. And so it's uh, my advice to anyone who cares uh, for what it's worth is if you want to raise, just do that, you know, get your your thesis, everything pulled together in the beginning and go raise right off the bat. Um, and then you're going to need to do your seed rounds or angel or seed and first and A, B, C, D, E, whatever you're going to do. You're going to have to keep raising. Yeah. It's not going to stop. But do it from the beginning and have that. That's part of your of your business. And, and always keep in mind why you're doing what you're doing. If you're doing it to flip it, to go sell it one day, then sure, raise capital you know, dilute your equity, doesn't matter, keep the revenue growth, then sell it. Um, if you're actually trying to build a sustainable business that's making a difference and doing something good, then I'd reconsider getting investment, at least at that early round, um, honestly, until you have some good footing about what, what you're going to be and you can dedicate that time and energy and not lose the growth on your product. I think you're spot on. 100% yeah. I agree with that. <laughs> across across the board, there's a lot of things to take into consideration. There's pros or cons. There's you know, there is uh, trade-offs and ultimately you have to kind of decide on, you know, what kind of business do you want to build and, and, and how do you want that experience to to go. Uh, control is very, very important to Colin and I. Yeah. Uh, and so we've been very cognizant of that um, as even if, as we've taken on capital. We've never taken a dollar of institutional capital. Yeah. It's off individuals. And that's, I think that's important too to note. Um, and, and again, you know, if you want to build a business that you that you run, do a five year and then an exit, then sure, raise capital, you know, blow out your revenue, run in the red, never make a penny. Mm -hmm. But that revenue growth will afford you to sell and make some decent money, and that's that's fine. That's a fine process. That's what you want to take. But that's um to me, you know, there's the two books that I always refer to back to on the startup side. It's um 
it's uh, zero to one is actually my favorite because yeah. that's kind of where my head always is. Like, I don't want to just do what's already there. I want to make something new that never existed before. I want, yeah. I want to change things. Investors hate that. There's a ton of doubt in that because, you know, it's uh, unknown. Um, the other one is the, what's it? The startup. The, um, oh, my God. I'm totally getting off. Um, uh, anyway, the one where you define your problem and you get feed in, buy in from people before you even start your company. The uh, lean startup? Lean startup. That's yeah. it. Yeah. So you get all your feedback and basically ensure, remove all doubt before you even get off the ground with the product. And that's just getting people what they're asking for. Again, not a bad idea. Yeah. But if you're doing that, if you're doing the lean startup situation, then you can get capital pretty easily because you've proven it. You can give people what they're asking for and then turn around and sell it, uh, exit mm -hmm. as you need to. But if you're doing a zero to one situation where you're building something that never existed before, you need freedom. Um, people don't want to give you money and then you shouldn't want to take it either because once you take the money, then they're going to direct where you go. And if you want to build something new, you're not going to be able to. How has the the vision changed for you guys over the years? You know, a vision, it's actually pretty drastic. Um, in the beginning, we really were focused on building online tools, things that we do today, but the data was never really what we wanted to do. We wanted to build online tools where people would do mapping and analytics and all these pieces. Um, but early on, we recognized, and even to like do that, we need the data to kind of play with it. So we kind of just dabbled. We grabbed Louisiana data or Texas data. Yeah. Um, and so what it evolved to now is it's a foundation their data is a foundation of everything we do and the platform sits on top of it um and so it's evolved from being a tool to now like our vision is more of an ecosystem um a platform uh, like a, a single unified data platform our goal in the end is with you want data in this industry in the energy industry then you come to well database because if you're looking for logs, you can get that. If you're looking for maps, you can get that. If you're looking for production data, you can get that. If you want to get, you know, third party, you know, data and piped into the platform, you'll be able to get that. And so we've gone from being a tool to a platform is really what our goal, what, what our vision has changed to be. Does anything change about the North Star about where you guys are headed? It hasn't actually. Uh, okay. The only thing I say will change are, and I probably said this before, our goal, we never, ever built an exit plan in mind. Our goal was always to build the best product we could and serve our customers the best we can and our exit will figure itself out. Um, so that's still the same. We I, mean, actually, good, I think that's honestly the best strategy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, same with here. We never had planned on building this into a company in the first place, right? This mm -hmm. was just a podcast and then yeah. turned into kind of everything else. But yeah, no, and it's hard though. Uh, and it's another area, like if you get, especially institutional money, that's not yeah. okay. They, they want an exit plan a full-blown exit plan for them and yeah, yeah. both so um by not doing that it's allowed us to be a little more agile and and kind of shift that vision although i mean the vision just got bigger really is all that happened um but no we're still have that same kind of mindset that we i mean and i say it to these to the staff now kind of ad nauseum i was like you, know, you worry about marketing. Are you hitting them too much? Are you emailing too much? Are you contacting too much? Are your posts? Are you posting too much or too little? All these things, and and I'm just like, if we're providing something value for the customer, then it doesn't matter. Like it's when we stop providing anything good for them, then our decisions get bad, and that seems basic, but still. And the same thing in our sales process. Like if we're truly trying to help them then making them sign a contract here mm -hmm. to ensure that they go through our onboarding process to ensure they get the best possible experience with well database 
as long as our intentions are good, it'll be all right. If you're trying to lock them into a contract because you don't, you want to be kind of sneaky and make sure they don't leave, then that's that's shitty, and you shouldn't do that. So um, that helps us kind of guide all everything we do, kind of keeping that that base who who who's important, who we're serving here. Dude, I love it. Let's. Um, this is totally random, but since you're one of the most like technical guys that I know. How how does all the new AI stuff play into the oil and gas space? Man, I'm the worst person to ask that question to because I you just been in your log cabin out there. No, no it's not just... that. Like I'm a purist. I'm like, here's data, here's analytics, here's machine learning, here's AI. Yeah, and and people people will throw AI into standard yeah. analytics, and that bugs the shit out of me. Um, but. Since that's the landscape, I'm gonna put aside my own kind of weird bias and whatnot. Uh, the biggest problem is that people are throwing these technologies in areas that they're they're kind of bastardizing the reasons and purposes for them just because they need the buzzwords. They need the yeah. yeah. The, the oh, that's always the case, right? It was the same thing with the blockchain. It was like you don't oh, need a blockchain yep. for certain things. It was just like they throw that in there. They're able to go and raise more money and yeah and what sucks is that there are very real applications for these things and someone like myself just gets so annoyed with the fact that blockchain yeah. made a fantastic uh vehicle for gas trading in the pipeline world where you know people are constantly changing volumes and moving and they're having to these contracts are, are flipping really quick and i don't know that world really great um this actually all came up you know trevin trevin yeah. Bond and i were talking about it one day and it was really remarkable hearing how much goes on and how an automated ledger would be just brilliant for that. And blockchain is provides that. Um, I never saw anything implemented in that regard. So it's like this great technology, but it's not utilized right. And same thing goes with like machine learning and AI. Like people want to talk about it using machine learning and, and type curve analysis. I'm like, well, that's, I mean, really in type curves and decline curve analysis, you could use machine learning in it, but honestly, in algorithmic, along with statistics and probabilities, that gets you the real answer. If you're throwing machine learning in, you're just doing it to get the buzzword. I mean, yeah. Um, but then there's other areas like where we do, um, we have a little internal tool we're working on for offset picking. You know, it seems hilarious because it seems simple, but people are notoriously picking bad offset wells and running analytics based upon them and then creating type curves and forecasts mm -hmm. based off of poor foundational data. And so um, using machine learning, what we could do is we can take an area of data. We have all the data in place. We can start to define the drivers of production and then classify them as which offsets are more uh, you know, alike to each other. And that works in the small area, but also for entire basins, finding analogous you mm -hmm. know, um, basins across things. So that's where machine learning has like real value. Like yeah. real There's fun. a million variables when you're actually like diving deep yeah. into yeah, figuring yeah, out those, those comps. It's almost like, I don't know, half an art, half a science currently, but I feel I like know. the the machine learning could definitely help. Yeah, it would at least it gets concrete to it. That's what it is. Like, because early on, and I feel like we don't get it quite as much, but I swear, like, the silver bullets I heard, it's lateral length, it's profit loading, it's, you know, pressures and pro... I mean, there's all these different things. And those all could all be true. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> for any particular play, for any particular yeah. time, and I mean, there's all kinds of reasons why that is or isn't true, but, like, there's no one silver bullet. Everything is yeah. related to where you're at. And, I mean perfectly honest what's underground that you can't see um yeah. but you know about technology though um in our platform we're trying to do like real applications that have real value and again 
transparency in our system is super important. That's what you get with like tech nerds. Is yeah. that like we we hate the idea of handing people data, asking them to trust it when they have no clue how it came to be. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, some of this is easy and some is more complicated, like allocating production data in Texas. You know, the other companies just give it to you and say, here's the number. We give you that and the process that we took to get there and all the variables we used and anything you want to know to recreate it yourself, you have from us. And so that's where our kind of hesitation on some of the AI and machine learning we can use because you do end up a little black boxy and, it, and we want to avoid some of that. Yeah. Um, but I do love uh, chat GPT whenever it helps me write talks and things like that and marketing materials and yeah, I just I feel like there's there's so many opportunities with like how much data you guys have like there's so many opportunities because I think about like so I've got this whoop here right fitness tracker for those who are not familiar with it right traditional fitness trackers just like tracked your shit and just like told you here's what your metrics are right mm -hmm. but with the whoop and just as many users they have on there they have like these uh you know crazy for one it's the most accurate that's out there but two they have all these algorithms where they're starting to make all these correlations and it's starting to say like if you have two drinks there's a journaling aspect to it. You, know, okay, you capture yeah. certain features on the night before. Every morning it prompts you. Okay. It's like, oh, if you drink past a certain time, your recovery rate is going to drop off by 40%. Oh, if you have a late meal. Oh, if your yeah. strain was this high. It starts to give you suggestions. So now you're starting to use it to make decisions for one that are clear to you, but also even more importantly, decisions that are not clear that yeah. it's inferring from the data because it's capturing information 24-7. The more you wear it, the more. Right. And then it's also playing that into how do you analysis. stack up. Of, yeah. yeah, so they're starting to be able to like to tell, this thing tells me when I'm sick before I even know that I'm sick. It'll say your skin temperature's elevated, your blood oxygen's like too yeah. low, yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, I don't feel bad yet. But then four or five hours later, I'm like, yeah, I don't feel very good. Yeah, that was it. You know, so, but, you, but using that as an yeah. analogy, like yeah. you guys have arguably more data than anybody being able to apply that same kind of technology there to where it's like, oh, like there's things that we weren't even looking for right. that are now kind of being spit out as like suggestions. Yeah, no, that's that's actually perfect. I did, actually, I did a, a talk on that once about the almost every machine learning and AI project that has been publicized in the oil and gas world. I mean, A, most of them are failures that they like to talk about. And I feel like that's just people trying to naysay yeah. tech, but that's okay. Um, but when you read the details, like their data sets are too small. They're basically, you're getting, you know, a thousand wells that you drilled that you have all the data for and saying it didn't give you any insight when you're in a machine learning model on it. Yeah. It's like, well, I mean, you fed it all the data. What did you expect? Like, and I get it. Maybe there was something un, but we have smart, uh, smart people here. Like they definitely know what's going on on the wells that they drill, but they don't know is what's going on in their neighbors or bigger picture vintage or the depositional formations and anyway so that's where ours does come in play that's why i kind of lean toward that offset analysis piece because it's like how do we better define what the offsets look like and then how do we better from there determine the drivers of production yeah. um and again that you know that's that's real use of machine learning that can help you know make move things forward and answer questions not just you know random things that can be done with an excel spreadsheet <laughs> <laughs> that's always the million dollar question is just like why why do i need this versus you just plug it well we do it to ourselves bridge. though i watched and i don't even say who or anything but i watched the whole talk about using this ml model to calculate you know well intervention schedules and things like that and the whole time i'm watching i'm really interested like learning what they're doing and i get to the end and i realize that like a simple ratio would have done what they were trying to accomplish if they were you know measuring two of these variables side by side and of course you probably want to use like second derivative 
people forget that calculus exists, by the way. That's the other thing. You know, <laughs> machine learning is an answer for everything when, you know, there's a physics world that answers a lot of things for us too. But anyway, it was a ratio that like this whole machine learning model thing that they spent six months on, like it was a complete waste of time if someone just stepped back and was like, yeah, no, we just need to do the second derivative rate of change to define when the ratios change. And that gives yeah. us our well intervention schedule. It's even predictable that way. And so we have to be careful whenever we're implementing these ML projects, AI projects, when we're doing it just because we want to do it. And yeah, I think you're 100% spot on. Well, dude, I'm starving. You want to grab some lunch? Yeah, let's go. Let's do it. Guys, if you like the episode, take two seconds, leave us a rating review. You can go check out World Database. At, I think it's still worlddatabase.com, oh, yeah. right? Yep. Yeah, so go check them out. John's on LinkedIn. Um, they're going to have a profile on DWB Insights. So if yeah. you're a subscriber there, you can check it out there, learn more information. Thanks for coming on again. Man, it's been let's make great. sure we don't we don't make it four years again. Absolutely. <laughs> Sounds good, man. Appreciate it. Come, 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 come.